brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. I had to stop it. I had to stop the gushing because it's going to start. I haven't seen you in over a decade, my friend. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's so cool to see you and talk to you. And I mean, we've been talking, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, why don't you, I don't normally let people do this, but why don't you, why don't you, tell the listeners who you are just a right. quick overview and then i'm gonna hit you with it okay so uh my name's danny um i'm originally born in south africa um but i've been living in the uk for uh what is it, about 16 years now um i used to be in the british army um south africans people are always surprised how south africans end up in the british army but it's because we were part of the commonwealth so that uh, that is why um and uh, decided to join the army in 2007 and then i did eight years in the british army and um, got out Um, the reason i got out is because i got married i didn't fancy being deployed um, all the time or being away on exercises for nine months of the year and then try and start a family as well so i signed off and uh, yeah living a happy life here in the southwest of england wow that's a very that's so funny. You know what I love? I love when I hear people talk about themselves because I always want to see what they think or they yeah. perceive the world sees them as or like what they're, yeah, what's important. Yeah. What are the titles? What are the things they pick to say? Kind of, yeah. anyway, it's interesting because if if you were to say that to this group, they'd be like, okay, so there's more, there's gotta be more. And oh, of course, of course, there's more. There's so much more to you. You are more than just a, ah, oh, I was born and raised in South Africa. I joined the military. I did this. I got a fam now. Like, it's nuts how crazy yeah. you are. And you just so downplay it. So you and I, I mean, let's, <clears throat> I'll, I'll give a quick reference as to how we know each other. And then yeah. we'll dive into your life. So Danny and I served together in 2009 in Afghanistan. And Danny is somebody I knew because he was our fister or FST or for Canadians, he was our foo. 
So he was the person that dropped the artillery and made sure it didn't land on us. And he did it with another individual that was on my deployment named Hoppo, um, which is someone that you're good friends with and that uh, you had served a long time with. But you and I did a quick stint together. And then after that, it's like I I was in and around a lot of your lives, whether you guys liked it or not. (laughs) No, it was good. It was good. It was good to keep in touch with everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy operation and it had a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, things happen in it. And so for a lot of people, you guys will know a brief overview of that story if you go listen to Lex Friedman or the now removed Jocko episode would have given you guys an overview, but it's okay. You can read it in July. So it was such a shame because I did, sorry, um, because I did listen to that when that was and it was such a shame to hear that it was uh, removed. Um, because um, when I was listening to the Afghan parts of your of your story, obviously that's the stuff where we were there, and it is um, yeah, it just brought back so much memories. And yeah, it's a it's a shame that some people try to slander you for it and so on. Um, but yeah, it's no, it actually that the stuff did happen, and um, yeah, it it was it was interesting, sad awesome times all it was a roller coaster of events wasn't it so yeah yeah Yeah, it was a special it's it's a special thing to have people to talk to afterwards who have been around it because there's so few and when you can have an in-depth conversation about something that caused so much turmoil and trauma or in so many lives it seems like now the more i'm learning about the rest of the guys um it caused a lot of pain and hurt and yeah. for families and everyone involved and to be able to have someone to talk to about that and to be yeah. able to kind of be like, I'm not crazy. And you're like, no, yeah. you're not. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing to have friends still from that time frame, and to have people that you did things with that. I mean, my God, I never thought I would talk to or see any, I just knew I was going with you. So um, yeah. enough, you know, we'll, we'll get more in depth with that, but I, I kind of want to start at the beginning with you because one thing I realized over this past decade is like, I know you guys from 2009 to now, yeah. but I don't know a lot about you before. And I feel like yeah. there's so much more to you that the world needs to know. So you're from South Africa <clears throat> yeah. and you end up joining the British military. So why don't you explain how you end up making your way over and deciding that the British military was a good option for you? Yeah, it sounds yeah. like there's a little bit there. Yeah, no. So um, I grew up in um, we on a farm in the Eastern Cape province uh, of South Africa. And back, back in those days, um, it was still apartheid South Africa. So what happened was you had the South African area, but then you had smaller countries within South Africa. And we lived right on the border of um, the Transkei state or province as such. Um, so it was completely governed by the Transkei government and so on. Now with the new South Africa, everything's now just one South Africa. But our farm was on the border with a lot of other farms and so on. And um, the the insurgents or terrorists back in the day used to do cross-border raids uh, or attacks um, and by that, t- we were about this early 90s. My brother and I were about four years old, five years old. Um, and so they hop across the border, attack a farm because it's an easy target. Um, you know, 
miles and miles and miles from the nearest police station um back then there was no mobile phones or anything we still had those ringy telephones that you um had to phone into a switchboard um we didn't have even have electricity on our farm it was um uh it was literally for the first few years that i remember we had lamps and a log burner and that kind of stuff a wooden stove it was that sort of um uh spartan as such and um but anyway the terrorists would come across attack the farms and then shoot across back across the uh back across the border and um it got that bad at one point that the neighbors on both sides were murdered um hits were called on my parents on my um on my grandparents nothing actually happened but there was you get a phone call from some guy saying we're gonna hit your family and so on Uh, just out of the blue just like a complete stranger yeah 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 exactly that um and it was just because they knew all the farmers were and so on and um so we ended up having sandbags in front of all the farm windows and all that kind of stuff um and then it it got that bad that the government actually the south african government sent the army out to come and stay on the farms and do patrols and 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 so on and that's where i kind of got our well bear in mind our all our parents had to do national service um so we had a little bit of a idea about the army but then when the army actually came the soldiers came and they stayed on our farms to do the um the local protection um it was just awesome for a little four five-year-old uh, two boys just having all these soldiers and the armored vehicles and they gave us our, their ration packs and and all that kind of stuff. it was just it was amazing and obviously we were just oblivious to all the danger and and all that kind of stuff the things my parents worried about we just you know we got to dress up in my dad's army uniform i had these army rations to eat and all that kind of stuff so it was amazing for us um but that's where the the sort of the love for the army started and wanting to be a soldier um uh eventually it got too dangerous um too many attacks uh farms burned down and so on so my parents said now that don't want to raise the kids here so they sold the farm and then moved to cape town we moved uh grew up in a nice town called wellington where you didn't even have to lock the doors and you know when you go out and all that kind of stuff um a lot of the crime spread now into the rest of south africa but back then it was all just in on the border regions and so on so even when we moved to wellington in cape town uh people just wouldn't believe it they just like wow you guys went through all this kind of stuff and like, yeah it's, it, this is weird so this, <laughs> you know you can sleep with the windows open and all that kind of stuff you don't have to lock doors um but yeah but then the love for the army stayed and um uh w- went through school um got into kickboxing um so my brother and i uh this is primary school we <laughs> We weren't the richest. We weren't. We we always had enough, but we weren't like the rich kids and so on. So we didn't always have the best of designer stuff and so. On. So it's it's natural to get picked on and bullied and so on. So I got into kickboxing. Um, my mom signed us up for a class in kickboxing, and and then again just got hooked on on karate. Well, it was it was karate, um, the basics in karate, but all the fighting was kickboxing um part of the was the wacko w-a-k-o um kickboxing rules and um so did that from or started at the age of i think 11 and just yeah done it for competitively for about 11 12 years i think 
but then on and off for 20 years and um so did that for high school and yeah and with the bullying as soon as we started learning to defend ourselves because you 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 end up being sort of you you close yourself away from the world and so on but then you start to learn to defend yourself you get some confidence and so on so and then the bullying would stop so that was i'm a real big advocate of martial arts of self-defense especially if you know people say oh there's different things of of different different ways to to handle bullies and so on i just think the best way to handle them is to uh punch them in the nose uh, is, to hand, <laughs> is to actually handle them yeah gonna, yeah, yeah it's the truth i don't care if anybody has an issue with what they say well, actually yeah. there's going to be some people that are going to yeah have an issue it's, um, that. i mean <laughs> we we tried the uh we tried the thing of just ignoring them uh be the better person and so on and then i think bullies will just pounce on it and they'll just um they'll just come keep coming back for more and more and and you just try and hide away from the world more and more and it's not until you actually stand up for yourself that um that the bullies will back off um but so so from an early age i i think i my brother and i as um well yeah both of us got yeah learn to stand up for ourselves not to back off or back away from you know adversity or uh, or challenges uh, or difficult situations and um and just that it sort of ingrained a moral sense of right and wrong in, in inside us um and yeah went through high school um my brother then left for the uk and joined the british army i went to university first because i couldn't really decide what i wanted to do with my life um uh, but then South Africa started to bring a law in for mercenaries. So it was called the Mercenary Act, if I remember correctly. So basically what that means is if you were in a foreign military, it doesn't matter if you were actually a mercenary or a proper professional soldier. If you went back to South Africa, then you will get locked up for being a mercenary. Uh, <clears throat> and at that time, there was loads of South Africans in British army, American army, French army. Um, and I was in my last year of, of university and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to miss my opportunity to also become a good professional soldier. And um, so I quit uni or well, I'd done my diploma, but I didn't finish my degree in um, and then just came over to to join. I came over in 2006 at the end of 2006 and joined the army in 2007 um and never looked back since really um God. yeah <laughs> yeah okay well let's just start with the fact that you grew up during the apartheid which is yeah which is a wild wild experience in its own i only i know two other people one of them uh Ruve mcdonough we, yeah she, she she used to tell me stories um about it very briefly but for those of you who don't fully understand what the apartheid was and why Danny had soldiers living on his property, Danny, can you kind of give everyone an overview of what that was like to grow up in in South Africa? Yeah, so I was I was still young when it finished. It finished basically. It stopped in 1994 and became the the new South Africa. Such and Mandela took over uh, or became the president. Um, but yeah it was it, it, it was a um 
the, the national party basically the, the, divided the country. At the time, it was seen as the African solution for African problem. And I think it was started initially by the Brits in like the 1800s. And basically, because all the tribes were killing each other, the Zulus and of course us and all of them were always fighting each other. And then you had the Europeans in the middle of that as well. Um, and it was just constant conflict. So they decided to separate everyone. Um, so you tribe, you stay there. You tribe, you stay there. Uh, everyone stays out of their way. You govern yourselves and so on. But then it all it also had the, the bad racist aspects to it. Um, uh, as in, in, in the white South Africa, parts of South Africa, you, you get a beach and it was only whites allowed, for instance. Or... Um, you get a post office and it had two entrances one for white people one for black people and so on um which is you know you that's just taking someone's humanity away from them and um degrading them and so on and it was that was like the terrible parts of it um but then like i said it's it was half seen as an african solution to an african problem at the time and it was just to keep keep them separate but um yeah and it, it it just wasn't good and it was a bad time in south africa um the the anc at the time were just doing loads of hits on the civilians my mom was a teacher at one of the black schools and um and then yeah she had to <laughs> talk about guns and stuff she actually had to go to she was as a teacher went to school with a gun a 38 special revolver on her hip because <laughs> going to school there'd be riots and the the anc protesters would try and stop them the white teachers from 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 teaching at the at the black schools because they were going and then they could go to the media and say oh yeah we you know we can't go to school this is this is bad this is bad white people um but but then actually you know that's what the media portrays but actually they were just trying to stop people like my mom from going and teaching kids who actually wanted to have an education um so yeah it was it, it was interesting times um we had to go to school <laughs> I remember the one time we had to go to my my grandparents' house and to go to school. My dad had to write top cover cover on the back of the pickup truck. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just glad it's over. Um, everyone hoped that South Africa would be a better place after that, but then you've got a corrupt you've got a corrupt government now, and and so the crime and everything just skyrocketed. So I had the option of going to the South African army, and back in 2002. I phoned a recruiter and and they were just blunt about it. They were saying, yeah, you're um, you're more than welcome to join the South African army. Uh, no, not 2002, 2004, sorry. Uh, more than welcome to join the South African army. Um, but you won't get promoted because the color of your skin's wrong. Um, so it was just reverse, it was just reverse racism, really. And okay. it was just the bluntness of the recruiter that just totally put me off. And um so I just thought, you know what, um, I'm going to join the, the British Army where you're actually valued and get promoted based on merit and not the color of your skin and that kind of stuff. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Okay. All right, then. That's a lot.
<clears throat> sorry yeah why are you sorry there's so much to that why are you apologizing because i never you really talk about myself that's why <laughs> well it's good and you should because you have a lot to share and a lot for people to learn from a lot of things that people can learn about the world you do have knowledge it is useful can we talk about the fact that your mom used to carry a gun to school because in america <laughs> people are saying teachers need guns <clears throat> and the rest of the world is saying no they don't but then you have yeah. people like the IDF, you have the Israelis, there's yeah. there's the teachers there are trained, they have guns. South yeah. Africa, there's guns. Yeah. I mean, yeah. why is it that we can't protect our children? I mean, number yeah. one, why do we have to? That's, yeah. I mean, the yeah. fact that we do, if you really want to get into that, that's a whole thing. So <laughs> the yeah. fact that we even have to is just straight mental health crisis, yeah. in my opinion. Um, but whether we whether we like it or not, we kind of have to at a certain point now yeah, protect yeah. ourselves and our children. Because um, no one's coming to save you. Exactly. Yes, Danny. Yes. <laughs> but it's true. That is true. That is no one will come to save you. And I've, I, I've got, I've had so many sort of debates or discussions with <clears throat> friends over here, but it's just a different dynamic in the UK. Um, you know, for, first of all, it's an island here. So you, the import and export of guns is much more controlled. It's a different, different society, different culture. Um, <clears throat> so even my military friends just don't get um, the Second Amendment or guns in South Africa and and that kind of stuff. Whereas I think because I grew up there and <clears throat> the fact that my dad had to drive when we my drop my my mom drove us to to uh, my grandparents farm with my dad doing top cover with his rifle at the back on the on the back of the pickup truck just in case there was an ambush um and there was ambushes on other farmers and so on it was just it just cemented the fact that you know it's the gun a gun is a tool and um and, and like i said no one's coming to save you and it's, it's up to yourself to protect yourself and i think that's the same with <laughs> with the bullying and the kickboxing and no one's coming to save you you've got to you've got to rely on yourself look after yourself learn to defend yourself learn to shoot learn martial arts um that type of stuff luckily we now well where i live now in the uk it's really safe it's good for my kids and so on but had i lived in south africa i definitely have a gun um the the crime there it's uh, i've not seen the statistics in a while but it's you know it's something like 50,000 rapes a year 40,000 murders a year what um yeah and the the farmers getting murdered now and it, back then it was just on the on the border areas now it's across the country so being a farmer in south africa is probably one of the most dangerous jobs in the world um because it's an easy soft target um and it, it's not just an attack it goes along with torture and and all that kind of stuff because it's just race race um race hate stewed on by the politicians corrupt politicians and um and again education in south africa the the the, the education level is so low and again it's just the corrupt government keep people uneducated it's easy to control them um so yeah people just have to have to be able to defend themselves but yeah sorry to come back to my mom um and yeah it, it was just it she, she just made that decision that you know and back then there was everyone was fine with it i don't know how it would be seen now in south africa but back in the 90s um 
everyone it was just expected that you would be able to look after yourself because no one was going to come and or the nearest police officer was probably like an hour's drive away or so on um and like i said we had our, our neighbors murdered on uh, on their farm so my parents just wasn't going to take the risk and yeah and no one gave my mom any trouble and she had some of the best students and going to school she was never hassled never no protesters ever threw rocks at her because they knew she was on so yeah which is <laughs> the best that your mom she was she was a badass someone up. she sounds like I, she sounds like an amazing woman and i'm highly jealous that i haven't met her um because the the fact of the matter is whether or not somebody else believes that you need to carry one or not if you feel that you are unsafe then you carry yeah. one um yeah i think in the uk and canada you and i are well i don't know but i mean this is a i can't believe i'm gonna say this we don't have i mean like you said a lot of our friends i know i think for me personally i don't know about you but mm. in canada because they're uk and canada are very similar obviously mm. being run now by the king together yeah. um we don't carry we don't have the right to carry guns yeah, uh, yeah. anymore <clears throat> we lost our right to that and they're starting to take guns from canadians now yeah. so yeah. i mean unless you lose them in a boating accident your mm, guns are yeah. gone yeah and i personally don't have any because i understand how difficult and i don't need to be on a list that the government can have the right to just kick my yeah. door in like they've done yeah. to a lot of canadians over the past year yeah 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 no thank you so you know guns are just not the same in america it's like every single american friend i own they have multiples and they have multiples on them most of the time yeah. Yeah. And then I get the American friends who are ex Delta or those type of guys. And I know guys that won't touch a gun again. Yeah. Um, so it's very dependent, but I mean, for safety, there are stuff that does happen that has happened in Canada recently yeah. where there's been a, a, a mass stabbing in Saskatchewan. Yeah. And like yeah. I said, mental health is a problem Absolutely. across the globe. So yeah, yeah, yeah. People are going to use whatever item they have at their disposal. And if it's not yes. a gun, they're going to use something else. And I would, yeah. you know, there's something scarier about not having access to guns because then yeah. I start thinking of things like explosives and close up encounter things. Yeah. If someone's going to really want to do something, they're going to do it with a knife. It's yeah. And that. a gun's so an equalizer, especially for someone who's vulnerable or less able to protect themselves absolutely and that's and, the other and, thing and they don't want to see it or people don't well they either don't want to see it or don't want to acknowledge it or just willfully bl blind about it <laughs> it gives them control doesn't it sorry i've got a bit of a cold no that's um, that's quite all right um but yes uh in south africa i think last year the government tried to um the, they defunded a lot of the uh the police um not totally defunded them but took a lot of their annual funding away <clears throat> they totally wanted to get rid of guns as self-defense because they said the police will be there to protect you although they also defunded the police um but what they did do is by a few billion rand increase the budget for this personal protection of the politicians um so you know it and it, so there was a big big outcry especially with, with in the in the female community as such with rapes being so high and so on <clears throat> and again no one's no one's going to come if you fund the police and so i forget might if you're lucky they might turn up within an hour might maybe if you're lucky they'll turn up two days later um 
but yeah so uh, last i heard they've not scrapped it yet but it's high highly um well it's it's high on the agenda uh for them but so, isn't that yeah. but isn't that the case all over the world it, it, yeah it's they're obvious like the south african government sounds to be very obviously corrupt to the general public. oh like, yeah it's, it's it's very it's, um very socialist very communist um yeah they're all trained back in the the guys in charge now was all trained by the old um, communists back in the day so that's 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 their mindset and so well and then you have countries like canada who are not obviously corrupt no. to everyone <laughs> yeah but just more sneaky about it but there's but the truth of the matter is they're incredibly corrupt and so there you you see these governments taking the initiative and all of them at the same time trying to remove guns and the only countries that seem to say no you have the right to have a gun are the only (laughs) they're just as much of a mess don't get me wrong yeah but their governments know where the line is it seems like yeah they've always tried to push the gun initiative of we're we're taking guns away but they never really get too far down the path because the rest of america goes there's no chance but then canada and other countries like south africa this happens overnight without a vote no choice yeah yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) <laughs> it's power isn't it it's just yeah we're, it's interesting times where we live in sometimes um, it makes my brain melt a little bit yeah, when i have these conversations yeah, yeah but it's true i like to compare a, com- a country like south africa to canada yeah. because it's like one <clears throat> super obviously corrupt one yeah. not obvious but both yeah. on the same playing field same, doing the yeah, same thing same stuff just not getting the point yeah yeah absolutely okay. <laughs> um it's fine so martial arts I, I would I would agree you and I both having similar backgrounds in that understand that martial arts are also the thing that keeps kids out of trouble. Yeah. And they're absolutely. really important in that way. Yeah. Um yeah. for you, do you think moving and, and and living in the well not well, I guess going back and forth to the farm and things like that, but do you think um, that martial arts for you were something that kept you from getting into trouble rather than just bullying but do you think it kept you from being the bully as well I think so um and also I think being being bullied you see you know what it feels like so you don't want to be bullied but also um it, I, I'm a big fan of Tim Kennedy and oh, I like God. his I, I like his um his sheepdog analogy mm-hmm. and i think martial arts enables you to be much more sheepdog than a, than a wolf as such um so i think mar- martial arts ta- yeah definitely taught me discipline um re- respect for your opponent respect for uh, the people around you and so on but also not to take any shit um mm. so yeah, I think it had a massive. It, yeah, probably kept me out of trouble as well. Um, overall, I, was, I, I think my mom would tell you I was a pretty good boy, um, <laughs> uh, and um, probably scared that my dad would whack my ass if I stepped too much over the line. Even mom also, <laughs> mom also carried. Like, yeah, yeah. There's a line. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's um, it it had a massive influence on me and. Our coaches, he was four times <coughs> kickboxing champion in South Africa. 
one of the toughest guys I knew, one of the most highly respected guys I knew, and I'd probably fall him off to a cliff. I was, I was, you know, I respected him that much, and he taught us, you know, you know, stand up straight with your sort of shoulders back, as Jordan Peterson says, and um, you know, face face the world, face the problems, and that confidence that kickboxing gave us, it, it just helped you on with it. Um, so yeah, it's. It, massive massive part that it played in my life uh for a positive so <clears throat> definitely now that i've got two small kids uh the eldest one is four so <clears throat> looking to get her into martial arts um jujitsu hopefully there's a club coming to my town um to see if i can get her signed up um the wife is not that keen on kickboxing for her um, her face man and yeah it's the face it's, it's the face but even for the little boy as well she's like yeah <laughs> she doesn't want him getting kicked in the face so we always kind of settled on jiu-jitsu um and i think for a girl jiu-jitsu is really good um especially in the, for grappling and so on so i'll teach her some kickboxing stuff but yeah it's it, it'll get for her be good for her to know jiu-jitsu yeah jiu someone is, out. Uh, <laughs> it's the equalizer <laughs> exactly it's the unarmed equalizer yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it really is yeah. and i think that's what's really great about <clears throat> it um art my son's in it right now he did his first competition last week yeah that was an interesting process to watch a six-year-old i mean it was it was a gracie's <clears throat> had a big competition it was like the west coast and he went and um he's going on he's getting his red stripe on his white belt soon so he's he's yeah he's going consistently enough to like find out he likes it. And he's gotten to the point where he can, he can do some of the techniques and he's got them kind of down. But one thing we didn't realize was like, he didn't realize by he, I mean, I, because yeah. Taekwondo had one, it'd be three rounds, one minute rounds, 30 seconds in between. Yeah. His rounds were three minutes long with no oh, break. Oh, wow. Yeah. They did three <laughs> minutes. And so I, yeah. I, that poor boy, he's a, he's in great shape. So he did, yeah. he did okay. But in terms of the points though, and how they score kids, it was an interesting thing to watch because there was only four moves they were really allowed and that's all they wanted to see. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a learning experience. He got second. He doesn't like oh, to lose. Well yeah. Yeah. Well but. Done. But losing is a hard, we yeah. learned, uh, not a fan of that. So that uh, was a great yeah. learning experience for him in terms of sportsmanship and how yeah. we behave and all of the fun bits that yes. go along with being six. Yeah. Yeah. My, my daughter, um, she's still getting used to, she's a natural, really good runner. And so on Sundays we do little park runs for the children. She's still getting used to, you know, not winning. <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah and i think jujitsu will be like you say it'll be it'll be a really good just teach you teaches you how to be how to win with honor how to lose of honor how to you know um so, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's, were you it's one of trip. were you one of those moms that was proper shouting next to the I next to the, the mat video <laughs> on the <Joking>. rounds. Yeah. <laughs> i have video <clears throat> <laughs> I will send it to you after this. Yeah. And um, but I also happen to be the person recording. So yeah. the problem is, yeah, I don't know if I just didn't think I would hear myself ever again in the video. <laughs> but there is six full minutes on my phone <laughs> of him fighting with me yeah. screaming yeah. aggressively. Yeah. Uh <laughs> it's and super the poor opponent. <laughs> 
Uh, that kid was him. good. No, no, that kid was good. His dad was a little psycho, but um, yeah. looked concerned. He kind of looked like the dad that's like, if he would, that boy would have lost, he would have yeah. went home and there would have been some pain on him. So I was like, yeah. okay, maybe it was good. He lost. We didn't get a kid yeah. punched in the face today, but no. oh dear. <laughs> oh yeah. He looked, it was one of those situations. Oh, um, you get some crazy parents, isn't it? yeah Jeez. man they're like hockey dads you ever met a hockey dad before uh no 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 because we don't really have hockey here do we oh, um well no but, no, but, but... don't <laughs> don't it's almost like the rugby parents in south africa or a lot of them comparable perfect exactly rugby yeah, parents yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. psychopaths my, i um <laughs> well my aunt she wasn't a psychopath but i remember she um so my cousin was playing playing for the his school's first team rugby team, and um, he was he was the winger, sort of the fastest guy in the field. Always normally the guy who scores as well, and he was that good that the other team started marking him out, you know, mark number fourteen, and wow. um, and his mom and my aunt was standing next to the field, and she heard them say it, and she almost ran onto the field, going, "That's my boy. You leave my boy alone." I walk in off there and so on it's just hilarious and then you've got the other dads from the opposite side and so on yeah yeah it gets um it's 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 a big thing in south africa it's big it's part of the culture it's that's super don't mess up our barbecues don't mess up our barbecues and don't mess up our uh, rugby (laughs) i i learned about the barbecues in afghanistan you guys have legit barbecues Mm. which which, (laughs) what (laughs) I never would have thought that that didn't make any damn sense to me. But then again, I didn't know what war was then. So I guess yeah. anything didn't make sense to me then. Well, because well, because we were in in um, in CAF in Kandor Airfield and that that place just didn't make sense. <laughs> it was like you're mm. in a, you know, in the safest area possible and then you're outside the wire in a war zone. Um, and then you've got Timmy Horton's coffee and uh, KFC and all these different cookhouses and you guys the canadians at the um the hockey ring and yeah. all that in the in the dust in the the what was that sandpit square on the boardwalk yep, yep. Um, in the middle of the boardwalk they had like a beach volleyball <clears throat> nets and then yeah. they had the yeah. tim hortons they had the was it a green bean green bean coffee yeah they, yeah they, they the stayed French, open yeah yeah throughout the night yeah yeah um and then just a few miles away you had like total chaos and then yeah the whole place just didn't make sense and then the dutch you at the um the rave party so once a month okay. they flew a dj in hold on stop <laughs> I'm getting to i'm getting ahead of myself i didn't know about this <laughs> so okay i wasn't yeah, at the only time i was at calf was when i flew in with <clears throat> you when i flew in oh, and then yes. no because yeah. i was at a fob i was at fob ramrod so i didn't get yeah. the calf pleasures unless i was with uh, you guys yes. or if i was leaving yeah Oh, okay. that sucks. Please <laughs> that sucks. It did suck. Thank you for yeah. acknowledging. Can you please tell me about the raves that went on that I was not a part of? So the um if I remember correct, once a month, the Dutch, because the Dutch were in or the Dutch army in within CAF was I think they were charged with protecting the the the, the headquarters or something like that. Um okay. but at least once a month they they flew a, a DJ in from the netherlands and then there was a a massive rave party and yeah it was just it was chaos because then 
because you'd step off the helicopter when most of the ops we'd done was we'd go out at nighttime, come back in the early hours of the morning, or sometimes in the afternoon. You step off the helicopter, or, um, you know, go and sort your your kit and your admin out and so on, and then go down to the boardwalk. And you know, three hours before there was a gunfight, and then now you're having Timmy Orton's coffee, and um, and there's a rave party, and you know, you know, the Siloom sticks. The, uh, mm-hmm. the the black watch soldiers would break the asylum sticks and wings <laughs> so it about Jeez. and you used to get alcohol free Beck's as well Beck's beer um, that they the Dutch the Dutch shipped out and we used to we got a few crates off them as well and it was just we it was alcohol free but we felt like we were getting drunk just because it was Beck's beer <laughs> it was crazy time it was it was awesome so the fob was great in my tent it was a good time yeah we uh we didn't have that so the the rest of my battery was in your situation they were out in you know in the sticks in the middle of nowhere in the in their little fobs and so on it was just our fsd because we all we were two fsds um attached to a a a and b company and um of the black watch so we that's the one thing because you 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 train with the infantry you live with the infantry we're all artillery but we live with the infantry out there so we got to do everything they got to do with the um the good and the bad of it so um oh. yeah it was <laughs> it was right. it was strange times so you jo- <laughs> let's let's bring this back so you yeah you, yeah you joined you joined the military and yes. you joined in in 08 uh 07 07 so, okay yeah 07. september 07 um yeah so went to one year I think okay I was, yeah go ahead yeah go ahead i was like 20 21 i think 21 years old something like that. okay <clears throat> so yeah so september 2007 uh joined the artillery uh went to purbright and um uh yeah i think basic training or phase one training as they called it was 14 weeks at the time i think it's 12 weeks now it's a lot has changed but i think it was 14 yeah 14 weeks and then you go on to which was a it was an eye-opener for me um because again coming from a small town and then having done kickboxing for like 10 years and you know you're your mama's boy and you know you're someone within your hometown and your community and so on so you you've got sort of the this perception and i remember thinking because i i love training and so on i'd be able to yeah we'll do our basic training stuff in the daytime and in the evening they'll be they'll allow me to go to the gym and do my own thing (laughs) and so on and that that's just this perception i had in my head and then day one of of basic training happened and they knocked me down a few pegs um <laughs> i'd like this grin on my face and the um the, i don't know if you guys call the corporals and the artillery bombardiers yeah um so. yeah and the bombardier just went what's your name i said uh venter sir and he uh venter bombardier and he went well wipe that fucking smirk off your face before i wipe it off for you that's like fuck yep. this is this is real <laughs> and uh yeah and yeah there was hardly any time for <laughs> for anything else than you know night times is polishing your kit for the next day and getting up early and all day of 
doing all the kind of stuff we do in phase one training um and yeah so and you're just um you're you're not the individual that you thought you were and you just become part of a team and and all that kind of stuff and it, it was really good it was an eye-opener but i really enjoyed it um it was really really good um made a lot of friends there they actually put us as an experiment in a commonwealth <laughs> troop so um our troop it was the first i think it was the first one and the last one um <laughs> <laughs> learned the hard yeah. way did we yeah <laughs> um but yeah so we they put us in a, in the commonwealth troop and it was all the fijians um guys from kenya nigeria uh ghana um south africans um there was i think there was like literally like three <clears throat> three british guys in the troop of i think 40 um and the rest of us were were commonwealth guys um and then so yeah that 14 weeks of that and then went to in beginning of 2008 went to <clears throat> went to lock hill the school of artillery <clears throat> where you do your trade training um at the time uh, fsds observers get picked when they get to regiment <clears throat> and because i had already had my driver's license all i had to do was just army familiarization and some comms uh, so I think I only done like four weeks in Lark Hill and then I got what? posted posted to a um, to a regiment. And then when you get to a regiment, <clears throat> the way the FSTs work, because you have to do everything with the infantry, you get an artillery fitness test. <laughs> Excuse me. No worries. Artillery fi fitness test. Um, uh, but you also had to, but then you get the infantry one, which is harder. So we had to do the infantry one um in order to be sort of just noticed or selected for the fsts and then um yeah to be uh kind of on it uh because even as a young lance bombardier or a bombardier you 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 can be briefing infantry <laughs> company commanders up on fires and and assets and so on so you know you you had to know your stuff <clears throat> so it was really good so I was lucky to get the day I turned up at the regiment, they put me in um, in the command post uh, for the gun line. And I had my, uh, went for an interview with the uh, with the troop commander, which was a lieutenant, Lieutenant Watson, I think his name was. And um, he said, so what, what did you actually want to be? And I went, well, I've, I've joined up to be, become an observer or part of the FSTs. And he just went, oh, fuck off then. And as it, <laughs> as the, right, and as it, just just like that and because as it was they just had a new intake and there was a course running for a new intake so they mm -hmm. just sent me off to go and join them so Perfect. i done the course and um yeah done done the course passed the pt and <clears throat> passed the course and then yeah i was and then i was assigned into a hoppo's crew and the way it works <clears throat> i don't know if it's the same the so you've got a fsd commander the the officer or the foo um who's who's kind of in charge of the you know makes the decisions and so on but the ack runs the crew and it's his crew because officers rotate out every two years or three years but the act stays in charge and uh the act is normally a, a, a bombardier a lance bombardier or bombardier most of the time a bombardier senior bombardier um so i i got assigned to hoppo's crew um craig craig hobson um yeah and uh 
at that time. So we were going to deploy to Afghan in 2009. So the rest of 2008 was just spent on build up training for, for that. Uh, so we went all over the UK, Otterburn, um, Salisbury Plain, and then to Kenya, <coughs> Kenya as well. Um, which was just an eye opener. It was so warm there and <laughs> so warm and just, yeah, not a lot of sleep, um, fast pace and so on. But they were, there's a saying like, if you can soldier there, you can soldier anywhere. Um, I think the only place that's probably harder is the, um, <clears throat> the jungles in Belize. Um, but yeah, it was, it was. It, it was very good because some guys who came came on tour after and had not done that training you could see there was definitely a lack in their sort of skills and so on obviously they were up up to scratch for what they needed to be but there was just everyone who who went to kenya with the black watch and so on you had already you had that relationships developed so the mortifier controllers um gus miller uh, was attached to our crew so he was working with us um so you had that cohesion and um you got the feel of the company commanders and what they wanted and how they worked and and so on it was just yeah it was it was really good and it was just it was good for me to then see the way it was to you know play a real soldier and see how the army works and tactics and get get my head around it and so on as a young gunner so at the time i was i was the the signaler within the team so that, that was my job for for the tour so Hopper with um, the, the the boss and uh, Banksy as we call him. Um, he would liaise with the company commander Hopper and tell Hopper what he wanted. Hopper would <clears throat> work out the mission and and I'd be on the radio calling in the mission. Um, and so yeah, and done that for yeah pre all of two thousand and eight, beginning two thousand and nine. I think then in the March March of two thousand and nine we deployed um yeah which was actually it's like literally it came to a point where you just send us to afghan so we can have a break right. <laughs> yeah from the relentless training <laughs> so but yeah it was um again it was um it was it was kind of surreal um we we're just looking forward looking forward to it looking forward to it and then in we we're based in northern ireland at the time in in lisbon and as we because we had to go with the black watch, we were then separate from the rest of the battery. And that's where we parted the ways and and so on. So as we got on the bus to then go to the airport to meet up with the black watch, uh, our battery sergeant major was there. And he, um as we as we got on, he stood by the by the doorway and just shook each of our hands. And uh, I never forget it, he just shook our hands and went, just in case I don't see you again. And and just kind of hit home. Um and it's like fuck yeah this is real <laughs> um oh. you know um and yeah so that kind of hit home so it was com something kind of sobering for the the coach ride to the airport yeah how did you feel after that on that ride <clears throat> i mean what did did you guys say anything to each other did you acknowledge what the hell he just said to you i think we still had the idea of being kind <clears throat> kind of invincible as you do um so it was a bit sobering um hit home a little bit <clears throat> but it doesn't really sink in you know you, you can't really be prepared for the, the stuff and until you're actually in it um 
so yeah, it, it it struck home a little bit. It just got us to pull our socks up a little bit and just go, you know, fun and games of training is over uh, and so on. This is this is real, but we'll be fine. You know, uh, nothing's going to happen to us. If anything's going to happen, it's going to be somewhere else to someone else mm -hmm. and and so on and then yeah and then and then you find out the hard way so yeah um, all right well let's let's get into it a little bit so you yeah. you get you deploy and you're with the black watch and you mm. guys were you guys stayed in calf and you ran ops <clears throat> from there yes yeah so we were the there was a book um, that came out shortly after. I think it's called Aviation Assault Battle Group. I'll send you the link of it, or maybe mm -hmm. you have it. Um, and it's it, we were the uh, the quick sort of the QRF for yep. RC South um, Regional Command South and Southwest. So we were operating out of out of um, um, out of Candor Airfield, or the we were the aviation assault battle group as such. So anywhere within the south southwest where there was trouble or needed or deliberate ops, we'd fly out where so all the other guys in the FOBs, you know, they had to stay on the ground and and do their stag duties and guard duties and all that kind of stuff. Whereas we literally flew out, done the done the op if it's you know. Uh, a, a, a drug bust or destroying a like a drug compound or um a del del deliberate assault or anything like that and then fly back so the longest i think we were out on the ground was like a week but it was normally was a day two days three days and then back back into calf and then literally maybe a day turn around and then onto the next it was very very busy um i remember the officers being absolutely beasted um as such <laughs> for lack of a better term um because the as soon as we got back they were planning the next mission and the next mission and there was uh, later on in the year there was the afghan elections as well so mm -hmm. it was just yeah it was just crazy times to be on top of all that kind of stuff um so yeah i felt i felt for the officers i think some of them was the the tight most tired i've ever seen them um, whereas as a young gunner, you just, you know, get your kid on, go out, do your stuff and then come back and get some sleep or go to one of the five different options of cookhouses within CAF <laughs> and your Timmy Hortons and your rave and, uh, and then back in. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Fuck. I'm so jealous. Now there's so many people, they had so many good fault. Like we had no good fob stories well we mm -hmm. had some bad i mean fat bad ones but like yeah not good but we didn't have any of that and so many people were either at like massim guard or one of the british ones or one or yeah. calf and there was always yeah. something good going on somewhere yeah. but now i'm realizing yeah. how much i didn't know about yeah. calf and the fact that there was <laughs> raves going on <laughs> but even the even with the cookhouses the um so the british oh, yeah. army oh, back back in the day we always lacked the good stuff and it was always the other armies the americans you guys the canadians who had had the, <clears throat> the coolest stuff and even with the cookhouses you go to the british cookhouse which we were all supposed to be going to but the way we got around it we always ended up going to the dutch one um or i think there was an uh yeah the american one um but mostly the dutch one because we were just saying yeah we we were deploying on the next op so we had to be close closer to the airfield <laughs> and so on um but yeah the within the british cookouts it was just squash you know the the squash drinks and and so on you mix of water 
uh, and uh, it's just your normal stuff that you get in any cookhouse but then you go to the dutch one and there was cans of seven up and coca-cola and fantas and burgers and everything <laughs> it's amazing the Amer <laughs> we had a good i mean at, in terms of that we had a snack tent at our fob it was yes. a whole tent that was filled with food, food but the yeah. americans used to the the canadians that were at fob ramrod before us because it was an yeah. american fob and then we ran guns there mm. they had had a really good relationship but when my unit came in it was french and yes. those Americans were still the same Americans. And yeah. so they like started hanging out around there. And like our staff were like, no fucking chance, beat it. So <laughs> they wouldn't, they wouldn't allow them in there. And I get that stuff. So I started trading with a friend of mine, Chris Gould. Um, he always had the Gucci kit. Like they always yeah. had like the Oakleys and all the, they had an yeah. abundance of it. Yeah. So yeah. I started trading him because the Americans stopped being allowed soda at our fall because the guys were going outside the wire and dropping from dehydration oh were yes soda yeah, yeah so then they getting kidney us, stones and all that yes, kind of stuff yes, yes. Yeah, so yeah. they said to us you guys like they can't have soda anymore we had a ton of it so i would trade cans of coke with chris for oakley's and like yeah. frames oh, and yes. lenses yeah <laughs> <laughs> I became the Coke dealer for him and it was, it was a great thing to do, uh, and pass the time because that's, yeah. that's what we had. You um, Coke dealer, you. <laughs> I'm a serious, listen, I'm a serious person. I dealt Coke in Afghanistan and I feel no shame about it. At no all. shame. <laughs> no shame at all. Those sunglasses are legit. I think my yeah. mom has them now. She took them. She wears them. Um, yeah. Yeah, so mom wears those glasses, which is a very weird thing to talk about. I think um, the first thing we also done was go to the, um, all the Brits just went to the American, um, is it the PX they called it? The yeah. PX shop. And yeah. um, and bought the American, bought US Marine Corps hoodies. So she had all these, all these Brits strutting around. And again, the Marine Corps got such a strict dress policy. I know. And, um, you know, and you can't, can't be seen to not dress in your way and you, they have their PT belts and oh their belts kind of yeah, yeah okay let's and talk about the belts for dresses. a second so yeah. many of my friends still have those and so many of my friends still wear those shirts and I yeah. wish they would stop Zach yeah. Bell yeah Zach I still have Bell. I still have a PT belt but I never oh, wear yeah. it <laughs> you should never you should they should have been burned but yeah it was, it was just funny is because we'd walk around um and a lot of times we were allowed if, if we had to go outside of because CAF was the, a big camp divided into small little camps and the Brits stayed in Fob Rob or the Black Watch did which was a tented camp within the main big camp <coughs> if we went out of that we had to be in uniform or but if we did fizz and so on we could do we could wear our own stuff and we'd go running with these Marine Corps hoodies <laughs> and then you get some hierarchy from the Marine Corps actually coming you know stopping next to you going oh you know marines ah, and you're like oh sorry sir we're uh we're brits and like, oh oh you know and then you, they can't really do anything to us no. um but yeah it, it, i think eventually it trickled down because at, at that time the brits was just you know um after that some strict dress policy came in um the later tours i think past 2009 um even for 
out in the fobs because guys would be just you know in their shorts shorts and um no shirt and so on doing their mortifier missions or going on patrol with just body armor on and no t-shirt mm -hmm. and so on and then after it looked a bit vietnam i think and the um it, it didn't look good in the papers and so it, after that a really strict dress policy came in uh, and again it was probably for the better because it was uh, health and safety as well you had to wear your goggles and you know um long sleeves protect against burns and and so on so nobody it, it wore sense, that but, but no one wore it that's <laughs> not such in, not, not in 2009 anyway <laughs> no i'm pretty sure i watched several guys run out of the showers in their towels and run a triple seven yeah yeah like don't <laughs> no <laughs> i remember the conversation my sergeant had with me and he's like listen i'm not gonna maybe i'll do the accent he's like, listen yeah. burns listen I don't know how you sleep. I don't know what uh, you wear, but uh, if there's a mission at night, uh, you know, you cannot, uh, you need to wear a sports bra and like yeah. shorts, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like we had this whole conversation about, yeah. you know, because there was never, you know, most of the time that was if you're right, you know, if there's a mission at night, it's very quick. Yeah. Everyone's just, you know, whatever. But yeah. I remember when we had an American was the EOD were bringing in small ordnance they hadn't blasted yet and they're putting him in yeah. a shipping container. Yeah. No comment. And in the shipping container, a, <laughs> a chick walked in with like a, she had like a mortar round she was putting down and yeah. she dropped it inside there and it went off oh. and it exploded on the fob. And we woke up to, I think it was like five or six in the morning and rounds are popping off Everywhere. and then shrapnels coming down into the tent because yeah. it's hot Shit. metal yeah of course and so yeah. we all ran out in whatever we were wearing and yeah biggest misfits because we all thought like we were just getting overrun because everything yeah, was just exploding. Yeah, yeah um anyway i think she was sent back uh yeah it's lucky she didn't get killed she's lucky she didn't kill everyone um, yeah yeah that's you know that's a whole other thing but i remember yeah the kit like the what you actually wore my favorite thing now is the canadian military uh having the audacity to tell me that my hearing damage that i'd applied for uh hearing aids for was yeah. non-service related when oh, they wow. said they said we supply we supplied artillery with ear protection and i went yeah no you don't <laughs> Duh. no you don't <laughs> 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 and if you do it, doesn't work because you can't get it under your helmet. But they make you yeah. wear your helmet, but you can't yeah. get it under. There. Yeah, so. and try and wear that stuff in like a combat zone as well. We like shooting. Oh. How are you supposed to hear orders and commands and so on? And it's like, you yeah. don't. So you just yeah, exactly. Don't. It works well on the shooting range when it's you know a one way range. Oh, um, all oh, the but, stuff yeah, we had at the time. I think, yeah, I think um, it, yeah. Uh, this, I think some of the hearing protection they got later on was was, was a lot better, but the stuff we had, I think they called it the Amplifox or something. Mm -hmm. those, just yeah, those... big bulky, <laughs> the ones you wear to the range. <laughs> oh, I was offense. I was looking at a video recently of us shooting in Texas right before we left, and mm. um, <clears throat> I can watch the because now I understand like concussive blasts and what they do to yeah. the brain. And yeah. uh, long-term damage that standing beside a triple seven or any sort of gun oh, has. And absolutely. I watched the video and when I can see it, yeah, I plugged one ear and I can watch as the gun comes down and fires, my head whips with it. And it's the yeah. timing. It's just, you can so, yeah. feel it. Yeah. Um, 
And it's a crazy thing to think about uh, doing that as a, a long-term job, not realizing yeah. the damage that it was doing, doing that. But I, I have a video, um, I have a video actually of, and I might put in here because I think it would be amazing. I have a quick video of you, you calling signal for Hoppo. And yeah. it's one of my favorites because it's a, it's a moment that I didn't think I'd be able to capture. And now obviously hindsight being 2020 is, I'm really glad I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. so how, I don't know how in depth you want to go into this, but yeah, that's good. Yeah, we'll, we'll, there, we'll take there. a dive. We'll take yeah. a dive. <laughs> okay. Let's see what happens here. So yeah. come on it from my point of view. I got a call. They said, you're going to go with the British and the black watch and yeah. you're going to go and you're going to get split between a whole bunch of different groups. And you're going to yeah. go where people need you. Yeah. You're going to go search women and children, keep them in separate yeah. rooms and then just bag and tag, find things, do that. Cool. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. What was the planning phases for you guys? Like, so for me, as a gunner back at the time, um, or like a private soldier for the non-artillery types, um, <clears throat> it was uh, the boss would be off on the brief, on the on the big, big briefs and so on, and then normally a day or two days before we'd we'd get our our brief from from the boss, and um, and then we'll just just do the small, the more finer detail planning within our within the FST or within the company or the platoon you're going to be attached to. Um, yeah. I remember, I remember the day you turned up. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh God, no. no, cause, um, cause, cause I, <laughs> well, I think we were getting, <laughs> it was, it wasn't on the airfield. I think when I first saw you where um, it was near the transit accommodation or something of the British, I can't, I can't quite remember the exact area. Uh, but yeah, we we we'd been briefed that there was going to be an op. There's going to be lots of searches, compound searches. So we had to get uh, some female soldiers in uh, to help with that because uh, I think the only few females we had there was a couple of medics, um, mm -hmm. and obviously they had to be used for for other things and so on. So they needed a dedicated searcher. Um, and then you turned up, and it's just like all the attitude on this Canadian soldier. <laughs> I remember something like you you saying because the guys were I, fucking with me before I even got. I was yeah. you you met me four hours. I had spent the first four hours with them already, and they were very clear. They were going to be very particular with me, yeah, and then you yeah. got all the attitude right <laughs> off the bat. And I, I I can't remember like um one of the officers must have briefed you up on something, but then you came over to our group, and it was me and Hoppo standing there, and um. Uh, and, and I think uh, Ro, Ro, um, Gus and um, you just came over with something like I and I think the first thing you said to us was I fucking hate officers <laughs> and that was literally the first time I met you the first Oops. thing you spoke to us so I fucking hate officers I was like yeah 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 okay I, I totally get that <laughs> and that was the first that was the first thing I met or the, the my first interaction with you and then yeah but yeah that was it was it was fun times but yeah to come back to the thing so yeah our stuff was just to get uh, my personal role um responsibility was just make sure my kit was ready you know the radio was this the um tax sat the satellite radio and the normal radio all that was good to go it had the batteries geez we had like 
I think initially we had like 10 liters of water we had to deploy with. I don't know if that was still because eventually as the months went on, you you kind of adjusted and got used to it and you kind of knew how much you could handle within a 24 hour period, like your body. So eventually I started taking only, I think five or six liters of water, but as a, as a rule for the company, everyone had to take 10 liters of water. Um, but the good thing again about FSTs is we were our own, our own boss as such. So you, you're with the infantry, but you're not kind of with them and so on. So you, you kind of make up your own rules as well. Um, and again, that's where like Hoppo and then Big Mac, Mac McCauley, where they came in and it was just two massive guys, like six foot two, six foot three, um, awesome soldiers. And just to have them, uh, and they'd had done other tours before Iraq and so on. So have that experience to, to fall back on. So for me with just, just the whole world of, um, you know, everything new, um, operations and so on, have that sort of foundation to rely on um to to keep you from flapping at ten thousand feet basically <laughs> keep, <laughs> well, keep you grounded you didn't um, drop anything on us so you did a good no, job no no luckily not <laughs> right no you did you did a good job you were utilized a bunch you were yeah, fine yeah, you did great yeah. so good. yeah go on we so we went out on that and i don't know where where you guys were at for all of it um i know we touched base at some point um that that day like i said that i was with you guys but do you want to walk through a little bit of what that operation looked like from your point of view yeah so the first op you went that was the one mclaren got hit wasn't it yeah yeah so i can't remember the ops name um but yeah so um, I was with Hoppo and the boss, um, so we were with the OC's tech, or the 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 company commander with his tech group, um, and the 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 JTAC as well, and the for <clears throat> for the air controller um, Ross McBride, um, and then we'd get split down between the <clears throat> between the platoons, and I think Willie Ewens he got sent to one of the. Uh, he was one of the other guys within the team. So he got sent to one of the forward platoons, um, which was where you were. Um, I can't remember which platoon was <clears throat> front at the time, but we normally bounded. I think it was a platoon up or one or two platoons up, OC's tack, and then the third platoon wasn't there in reserve as such. So we're always just behind that the front platoon as such. Um, yeah, because Craig... The, with the OC. Because Craig yeah. Hardy was the medic. Mm. He was one of the medics. Craig Hardy was our medic. That was with yeah. us for that. Yeah. And was that second? Pl- I can't remember if it was second or third platoon. They moved yeah. me too much. I just know who I was yeah. with during certain key moments. Yeah. And I remember that because they were, I think before we deployed, they were saying, yeah, you're just going to be sort of with the platoon sergeants group sort of at the rear of the platoon that but was the plan. It, it, that was the plan, but as we all know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and so you know, they see someone, so Kelsey get forward, there's a female there that needs searching, or Kelsey do this and, and so on. <clears throat> and I remember we were I think the first couple of days of the op went really well. Um, and just the ops leading up to that one, 
had gone really well. We had had a lot of successes, no injuries, no fatalities, nothing. So in my personal head, I was literally starting to feel <clears throat> invincible or untouchable and just thinking, yeah, you know, we're awesome at this. We've got this. Everything's going to be fine and so on. And um, and then, yeah, we so we went on the op and I was with OC's tack. <clears throat> and then there was this massive fucking explosion. Um, and remember, we just all hit the deck because then all as soon as there was the explosion, then freaking all hell broke loose of um, small arms fire and so on. But we we weren't right at the front of it, but you still had the crack and the thump, you know. Um, you had the, the the cracks going over us. So I think Banksy took a photo of me and Hoppo literally laying in the dirt, trying to get a get a mission going. <clears throat> um, helmets on and so on. I remember getting really low because you could couldn't tell how how high it was, but it was it was low enough. Uh, for us to be to yeah. you know st <laughs> feel like you want to dig in a little bit um but yeah and then yeah so there was the explosion everything started kicking off and i remember banksy just <clears throat> again banksy uh, james banks our fsd commander one of the best officers again i was so lucky to have have a really good crew really good fsd commander um one of the best officers to <clears throat> to work with and he He'd get straight up onto a rooftop or as high as he could to get eyes on, and um, started calling out, you know, compound numbers or target grids for Hopper and myself to start calling in missions. And uh, I think for that mission we had some Canadian M triple seven supporting us, mm -hmm. um, which is again we'd not call, we'd not used M triple sevens before as Brits. <laughs> <clears throat> And I remember on the net came in about the coming in about a, a casualty. I don't, I can't remember hearing they said who it was yet, but that there was a casualty. Um, and then just you know you get angry, you get you get in the zone, um, and it it felt like minutes, but it must or it felt like hours, and must have been just a few minutes. Um, but we got got the rounds down because uh, the front platoon talked about where the firing point was. Banksy was calling in from what he could see, and then we started suppressing with M triple seven. And I think um, Gus and the mortars were calling in some stuff as well. And yeah, those we were sketchy close, Holmes. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, but we also had a really good snipers that was attached to the um, to the to the companies um some really really good snipers um that yeah they they've done a lot of stuff um so yeah and then just remember afterwards and that was the first casualty that a company had had um <clears throat> and i think you if i remember correctly it, it came over yeah kelsey kelsey is in the front um was that the same op where the the sharpshooter guy had his had his rifle shot off the wall or was, hey, was, was we were yeah. on top of the roof yeah it was yeah. Stephen noble put me on the roof because mm. he didn't have a choice and so yeah. we went on the roof and i was up there and he jumped down to get some <clears throat> ammo and the claim is that was put out against me was that no soldier would ever leave his weapon and i'm like well it happens when you're trying to get ammo so he jumped down 
when he jumped down, the rounds came. We were shooting one direction and the rounds came completely. We had completely three rounds. Opposite. Come, yeah. Complete opposite. We had no yeah. eyes that way at all. And just yeah. hit the buttstock. <clears throat> and I was lying flat in the prone, facing that direction, firing that yeah. way. And his rifle is the length of my, like, I mean, I'm very short and five yeah. so the yeah. length of my body. So yeah, he has, I have a photo of the casing we pulled out. Um, and then yeah. he has a picture of the I, I yeah I've got that photo as well because he um <clears throat> I forgot his name now because it's been that many years but it, I remember it, it but South African... I don't want to say it because I don't want to yeah, get yelled he's... at <laughs> that's right <laughs> but he's South African as well mm -hmm. I remember talking Paul to him Redhead. And he was... yes yeah right there and um I remember him showing showing yeah. me the um the the round and so on and um i'm sure you were standing in that little huddle of when we were talking because you were asking for the round or something and it's like no, i was, no, no, I was this, like i this want is, the round. this is mine yeah, yeah yeah yeah. i was in the huddle and i was like it's like <laughs> yeah. this is mine i was like yeah but it almost hit me it yeah me. yeah and he's like no so, this is my lucky charm it had my name on it or something like that yeah um, so he took yeah. it and i was like can i at least take a photo he's like yes and so i put it on my pants and took a picture i have it tattooed on me now so it's fine yeah <laughs> it's fine i tattooed it on my hand it's no problem it's there. But, but again come, and coming back to you know no plan survives first contact when when we first saw you because I, I think your hierarchy didn't quite know or your sergeant or whoever sent mm -hmm. you out to us wasn't sure about the situation so oh. all of us when we deploy and our personal kit we had I said seven seven magazines mm -hmm. um so six <clears throat> six in your belt kit plus one in the rifle and then you'd have a bandolier with some extra ammo in your backpack and you turned up with something like because you had a your your big your bergen or your mm -hmm. pack yeah full of mags yeah and there was something like so i remember so when you got up on that roof um and then <laughs> joining in 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 this gunfight and then afterwards when we we're all in this huddle remember they the they were taking ammo stats and then <laughs> someone, so someone yeah. as the platoon sergeants do and then um and then someone someone said something like Kelsey Kelsey shot out something like fifteen or sixteen mags, <laughs> something, something like that. It's um, yeah, and it's just like you know how the hell did she like aim shots or something? Did she just like literally just, just blast fucking away? shot everything? Just I was general over direction, it. just shoot. <laughs> I was not a happy person after what had happened. I was very yeah. angry and wanted to kill everything in the direction. Exactly. But again, so, you know, going back to, yeah, you'll just be at the rear, you know, not going to be engaging and so on. And then to all of a sudden, there you are. Right in the middle of it. Black, blasting, blasting away. Oh, well, yeah, it, that, happens. it yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, um, so I didn't see any of the evacuation stuff because <clears throat> we were still doing the while we were with the, with the tag group, the platoon at the front was dealing with all that kind of stuff. But I remember the heli helicopter coming in and the guys talking about, you know, the injuries and and and, and so on. And <clears throat> when I listened to your thing on Jocko's podcast and so on, because I knew what had happened on your side, but I didn't know the extent of it. And mm -hmm. that kind of, that really hit home. Um, because I knew you were there. Because uh, I think Willie was one of the guys who was mm -hmm. helping with the with the um recovery and so on. So I knew guys were there and you were helping, but I didn't know the the detail of it. And it was just <clears throat> it hit home. Um, it's like bloody hell. Um, you know, 
that's 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 really fucking something um but yeah um and it really hit home it made me for the first time i got really scared um as well because you then you kind of realize that you know it, 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 especially because it was an ied as well it's one thing getting shot at or to get shot but the fucking ieds they really scared me man it was uh, yeah and <clears throat> later on when when hopper got hit as well we'll get to that i'm sure um because again you've got your parents spend all their lives you know bringing you up feeding you loving you you know you take care of your body and then all of a sudden there's just a torso or just a foot left of you and that's what goes home and and so on and i think that it wasn't so much the dying but just that there was nothing to send back to your parents uh, that really really fucking hit hard and just brought reality back and yeah after that it was it, it was um it, it, there, there was a change in the mindset and the uh, you know the, the the mood changed as such i don't know how to articulate it but um well yeah, it did it was, everything yeah. shifted everything yeah, shifted yeah. for everyone and mm. i know <clears throat> that feeling that you're talking about of like you you think of like if something happened you go back but that's why i think i was so angry too was yeah. like um when it happened and we were dealing with recovery i don't know what i thought happens when an id goes off i don't know like i seen yeah. photos we did stuff in yeah. um you know at calf when we were doing yeah. having conversations about what was going on you know in the yeah. country and what was being used and what it would look like and how this works and da, 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 da. but i didn't know what i had thought it would be um and so when that happened i was super hyper like i was hyper concerned that we didn't collect everything and i kept saying it on repeat over and yeah. over to a few people and i know a few people did go back yeah. Um, and look, because I was very concerned about it, um, just because it had all happened so fast. And again, it was the first time I'd ever experienced anything yeah. like that and was not supposed to be in that position to experience it. So yeah. Yeah. it was, it was a very sobering moment of like, we knew, I knew there was things in the ground and I knew that there was things in the walls and I knew that that stuff yeah. was was an, an option for them and was being used but yeah you have that i like how you said that before it's like well not me it's not going to happen to me yeah. it's not going to be involved with me yeah and then it yeah. is um yeah. and so i know that changed the tune of everybody in yeah. the company and in all the units that we were in and out of yeah um after that things just kind of were messy and aggressive and yeah. gross yeah it just was um yeah but then I, but uh, but, but uh, just uh, just on yeah. uh, on that at least, because you've done a few ops of us. I can't. I, I remember we worked with the Canadians a few times. I saw you on a couple of ops. Um, but then when we got back to CAF, <clears throat> you were gone as soon as we came off the helicopter. You were sent off back to your unit. Whereas at least with that, because then as you know, while you're there and the stuff happens, there's no real time to process it. Um, but as soon as you got back into CAF and, you know, everything kind of de-escalates and you can think stuff over, at least we were all together. Mm -hmm. um, and we got back into Fob Rob, which is our little small camp within CAF. Um, and there was always, there was a barbecue waiting for us. You know, the guys back in camp had 
everything sort of ready to just ease us back into it and so on and and everyone was together and you can talk about it and decompress it and so on um and whereas you went through it and then just kind of got fucked off to yeah go back to the canadians yeah um, i did which I, I did was... a couple yeah it was fucked up um but i did a couple days with the british mps before they put me back on a plane and i had Excellent. to do um you know when they uh when somebody dies or something goes crazy they make you they they hand write by the way the british <clears throat> weren't using computers oh, they were no. hand hand writing statements yeah. So I had this British lady sit down and she was an MP and I just had to go through the events and then who was with me, who was in front of me, who was behind me, yeah. who collected and who didn't. So there's this yeah. like four page, very slow, drawn out yeah. statement. Once I was done that, then, yeah, they sent me back to the FOB and that was a disaster. Waiting yeah, to yeah, 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 I could think. And then you go back to that bullshit of, you know, the rear echelon guys that don't really know what's going on or what you've been through and and so on and and i guess the the officers of the black watch maybe they should have got in touch with your side and briefed them up but again the tempo and the pace of the operations was that fast and going it was straight into the next thing so that they maybe didn't have time for that kind of stuff um yeah so you know you get lost in the in, in everything yeah in the shuffle of it all uh so yeah just... and then well, you guys you guys kept going you guys kept pushing because after that i went back out to the fob did yeah. a little time there and then i did my hlta which was like my break my holiday thing and then oh, yes yeah and then i came back and i went back to the fob again and at this point this is when i was already on medication and they were they sent me back to um back to calf and that's yeah. when i started hanging out a little bit more with yeah. you guys again and with just watson kind of wandering. And, and so on yep. yeah 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 i'm still in touch with watson as well it's a, he a, loves you he's coming on as a, he's he? coming on yeah he's gonna be on the show i think next week next week as well awesome oh, i know i get awesome. all my favorite friends on here um <laughs> But yeah, you guys, you guys had some time and then you guys went back out again. Yeah. Um, I'm going to just preface the beginning of this with yeah. um, you and I have both been in touch with Hoppo's family and yeah. she, they are aware that we have spoken about him and yeah. his life and deployment and all of that. Yeah. So I just want to, before we get into it, I want to brief yeah. that um, Eleanor is very aware and yeah. that we've been given permission to talk about Hoppo on here. So yeah. Um, yeah. So what happened? I wasn't there for that one. Yeah. So we there's a big operation called um, Panther's Claw or Pancho Palang, um, which was a big aviation assault. It was <clears throat> one of the biggest a aviation assaults in British history um, into an area called Baba G. And what we had to do is heli heli assault in and um, secure some key bridgeheads um, in the in the town or area of Babaji for then the main armored force to come in and I think they were building a series of checkpoints and fobs and so on. I can't quite remember the the whole tactical plan behind it all. Um, but again, before before we deployed. Um, on this op in the build up to the op 
um, the army thought it a good idea to let everyone in that area know that the Brits are coming as a deliberate thing of, you know, there's going to be some scrapping. If you're Taliban, this is not good for you. <clears throat> you know, rather go leave and civilians leave as well and so on. We are coming. So it was there was pamphlets dropped saying that the Brits will come and so on. And they I don't know what the what they were hoping to do, but that's what that also done then is gave the Taliban loads and loads and loads of time to plant IEDs. Um, so, yeah, we flew in and um, in in the middle of the night, um, we had a news crew following us as well, which was kind of surreal. Um, but yeah, so big, big heli assault. And I think the first few hours or the first day was pretty quiet. Um, insurgents probably just checking us out gathering up where we were and um what was going on and so on and then but i think by day two literally all hell broke loose literally <clears throat> even late on the first day or the second day yeah and it was just kind of carnage um it's like sort of these wave attacks that the taliban used to do and again coming back to the snipers we had they were really good at identifying sort of taliban command posts or command areas or commanders taking them out or relaying what they were seeing to hoppo um and to the boss to to um get fires onto it and taking them out with guided weapons and so mlrs and so on or mortars as uh, as well um and yeah but yeah they were when that command structure got taken out or some of the taliban leadership and they some of them a bit leader leaderless and they were just doing these charges or suicide charges and so on um but yeah it was just yeah chaos uh not not on our side but just yeah just never heard noise like that the amount of gunfire and stuff going on um and we were there for about a week um securing it loads of the guys of the other battle group the armored guys were, were hit with <clears throat> ieds um there was there's a, a eod officer captain captain dan shepherd he got killed later on that year defusing an ied but geez I, if anyone was gonna get like you know medals or something for the stuff that I, I remember and they weren't even wearing all the bomb suits it was literally just his body armor and a helmet um and he there was this one alleyway and he was just i think he diffused five or six ieds just in this one alleyway just going from the one to the next and so on and he um he, those guys were tired and overworked and and so on and they just kept on going to the next one and the next one um just the the guts on those guys are literally is unbelievable um but yeah um but we held, we held the ground um uh, firmly in control of it and then <clears throat> the main force came in we then got flown back to calf and then went on r and r and again kind of started feeling a little bit invincible again um and then we had a week or two weeks <clears throat> two weeks r and r came back and then <clears throat> this i think the second phase of panthers claw was then happening so we had to go back out we were literally back a couple of days and we had to to fly back out um and so with hoppo i 
I remember him as being like a like a proper, you know, really good soldier, hard ass NCO, you know, can't fuck with him, do, you know, does not show weakness and that kind of stuff. But because I had worked so closely with him, it's always, always me and him were together. Um, you, you saw like the softer side as well, the human side. And again, his he, his daughter was Amelia. She she had been born just a few months earlier so she was three months old um when we went back out and i remember before we <clears throat> flew back out again he was talking about how we you know just spent our nrc and our how cute she is and so on and then again this because again in, in your head as a gunner or a private soldier you look at the ncos and you know you see them as gods or such and you see the vulnerable side um Hopo talking about, you know, he misses Amelia and Eleanor and um, feeling, feeling not scared, but, you know, feeling nervous going back on the ground and so on. Um, sh things that we he would never share <clears throat> within the, the, the broader group of AFST, but just because we were just the two of us always together. So doing that. Um, and then, so we went back onto the ground and um, I was, again, I was with the OC's tack and the hopper got told to go with the <clears throat> the recce group, the recon group uh, in vehicles, in jackal vehicles, um, the, early the next day to, to establish a forward perimeter. And so he was the, <clears throat> excuse me, he was the, the furthest, they were the furthest troops out in that um area of operations so he was the most forward <clears throat> artillery observer and so he got told that the night before um and we as we had our little o group with with the boss and um afterwards hoppo was um hoppo was uh, i was talking to hoppo and he was saying again how he, um he was he had had a letter or something from eleanor about amelia and he misses her and 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 that kind of stuff and then you know you're going back and you do your things i think i was on radio watch like in the early hours of the morning so i went back to sleep <clears throat> and it was about i think it was like 20 minutes past seven or something in the morning and just had this massive explosion and uh fuck. um it woke me up and um you know you get on the radio goes you know contact id and and so on and um you don't really think much or you think you think much but you don't think it's you know it's someone you know and and so on and then it came over the radio that um yeah hoppo's vehicle or his call sign is hit <clears throat> or his his zap number came over the radio which is your i don't know if you guys had the same but it's your so your last the first two your, uh, your first two initials of your surname your last four numbers of your army number and your blood group or something like that um or yeah so that that came over and it's like fuckers it's it's hoppo and so on um and so yeah his his jackal vehicle he was top cover in the on the jackal and they had pushed forward and then the vehicle hit an id um and yeah he was he died on the way to a hospital when the again the i think it was the the american pedro guys 
came if ever i say if ever you get a chance to interview some of the pedro guys please do it they are literally some of the bravest guys i've ever met pedro pedro it was it was their call sign <clears throat> so it was the the black hawk pararescue guys mm. um that came to that put, <clears throat> pulled us out or that get got the <clears throat> got the wounded or killed guys out um oh, and so they, the guys uh, that got mclaren with mark yeah guys. so those black hawk helicopters oh. they so their call sign is pedro um and their motto is so others may live and they yes so they they are air force pararescue um oh. but yeah there, there was a few few um times during the deployment where we were in some you know some big contacts and we had some guys wounded and so on and the british mercs because we at the time we only had chinooks for our rescue with with medics on in the back and we had such a shortage of helicopters as well that the mercs just refused to fly in so you you had your own guys wounded on the ground and british helicopters refused to fly in and these pedros black hawks would fly in the one covering just shooting everything up the other one landing guys jumping out getting the wounded guys up and flying out and there's been a few times where those those black hawks got shot up really badly but the guys still flying out and and so on so if if ever i can buy someone a a, a free beer i'd, I'd do it for those guys you know we will um, find if I can some buy someone you. a beer so yeah I will my find fucking massive respect for those guys but yeah um so <clears throat> he got flown out and then um I think Banksy <clears throat> was out on he was with one of the platoons or with the company commander so I was with the <clears throat> with our battery commander and the because the CEO everyone was out on the ground on that up and so the the battery commander came and said we knew hopper would get hit but we wasn't sure how bad and um he just then came and told us you know his his past and and so on and i just remember going fucking it's uh you know get it's like you get swept off your feet um rug pulled from under you your whole kind of world upside down because these guys you think is are inven invincible such you know just just human and it just fucking hit home um and you know i remember being so fucking angry and you know well what can you do so the only thing i could do is, is so that the the battery commander just went you know go and have some time go chill out listen to some music or whatever just have some time for yourself and i just said no just put me on on radio duty um just because i had to keep my mind busy otherwise i felt like i was going to freak out um so i just went went into the sort of the small tack area that we had there in the in this compound and just said you know put me on radio watch and we start writing down messages because i just felt like i needed to be busy and doing something um and yeah and then <clears throat> finish finished the rest of the op and then flew back to <clears throat> think we flew back to Cal first and then to Cambastian and then to do the repatriation for for him um and yeah it was just yeah it was so fucking sad um yeah um, I know. 
I remember, I remember getting um, a couple messages from some guys about that. And I kept going through all my stuff, trying to figure out who I had worked with and where I was and all of that. And then I realized, oh, fuck, that was Hoppo. I knew exactly who yeah. that was. And I yeah. know at that point I had been, um, I'd been in contact with um, his wife not long after, yeah. just trying to see if there's something we can do. And since then we've, yeah. um, we've done some stuff for her and sent some <clears> stuff <throat> over and tried to support her and the family as much as possible. Um, yeah. It's, it's a real tragedy how we lose people to things like ieds that were just you couldn't see them you couldn't control them and that's why the enemy was so effective i know the british yeah. in 2009 got rocked in particular quite aggressively yeah. i um, think it's our highest casualty year that one summer of 2009 mm -hmm. um yeah but yeah, yeah. it was it, and again i yeah we didn't have we had armored vehicles and mine protected vehicles but i think there was just wasn't enough um and uh yeah but the they trolls yeah it's, it's massive um massive fucking things and again my um we did some ops with the with the um afghan army and stuff like that and then uh on the afghan police and there's some brave guys there that kept on fighting but I, again, I remember being angry with them as well because it was like thinking, you know, you guys are supposed to fight for your bloody country. We're not supposed to be uh, helping you guys out. And you guys are doing your bloody getting high. And I don't know mm -hmm. if you know about Manlaw Thursdays and all that kind of stuff, but, they, you know, or just refusing to fight and so on. I know with the Afghan special forces, there were some really, really good guys, but some of the sort of the lower level units that, that, we sometimes worked with just being so pissed off of them it's like literally my friend got killed because you fuckers can't get your stuff right and some being angry and not trusting them and and so on and um but yeah it's you know it is what it is um uh and again on my second deployment on herrick 16 we had a, a lot of blue uh um green on blue where with the insider attacks and so on so again <clears throat> just felt a lot of hate towards these guys um because you're you're you know you're sharing a compound with them and you're supposed to work with them and so on and then all of a sudden this guy will get a fucking get his machine gun and start mowing his colleagues down and your bridge down and, and so on and just finding it really hard to respect the guys and so on um yeah so again it was just it was a lot to deal with um but yeah back back to herrick 10 um 2009 uh after hoppo um yeah i i just remember being that being that scared that you don't know if you're gonna so you you literally were taking it one day at a time mm -hmm. and <clears throat> yeah so if we're out in the field on an op, because I, I didn't, you remember the Afghan stars at nighttime are some most beautiful, beautiful scenery. The mountains were really beautiful, and the the stars at nighttime because there's no light pollution and so on. It's just beautiful Milky Way. So laying underneath the stars in in the either in the desert or in a compound or something, laying there watching the stars, thinking, you know, fuck, I just I made it twenty four hours, or I made it this day. Let's see if I can survive 
another 24 hours. I don't know if I'll be here another 24 hours and being that scared sort of, you, yeah, you just don't know if you're going to make it another 24 hours and just that, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and then kind of <clears throat> eventually I just made this piece. I remember making peace with myself, just going, you know what, if it happens, it happens. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. Um, which reminds me of a little quote. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, you know, you've never, you've never really lived until you've almost died. Uh, for those who fight for it, life is, um, has a flavor, but the protected will never know. Um, or life has a meaning and the protected will never know. Um, and that really thinking about it afterwards really sort of <clears throat> hits home with me you know, like Hoppo didn't come back and so on. And I did, and I, it could have been any of us. The boss could have told me to go, <clears throat> to go on that vehicle patrol, but Hoppo was the most experienced guy and so on. So he, and he was the best guy for it. So he, he was sent for it, um, but it could have been any of us and so on. So, you know, to take, to make the best of life now and so on. And, you know, I think I've got a really low bullshit <laughs> um, tolerance now um, because I, I, you know, how precious life is. I, I just don't have time for bullshit and and that type of stuff. And sometimes it's it's a, it's a bad thing, but sometimes it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, just to make the most of life now and value what we have here. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Um, yeah. Do you? Yeah, sorry. What do you? Don't be sorry. No, just uh, just I digressed. <laughs> no, you didn't at all. What do you? <clears throat> what do you think was the biggest change and challenge for you after you decided uh, that was it? Two thousand and twelve was your last deployment. Yeah. A change in what? Sorry. Um... A change in what you wanted to do because after that you had now gone through the moment where you lost somebody for the first time and your vulnerability was exposed yeah. and all of yeah. that happened, but then realizing that you might only have, you know, such a short period of time going on another deployment after that, what yeah. changed? How did that affect how you were that deployment versus the other? I mean, so, it's... yeah. So the, um, so as I said, I, um, on the, on the first one, I was, I was still a gunner. So I was in Hoppo's crew. And then when he got hit, someone else, took over um on the second deployment uh i had my own crew so we still had a, an officer in charge but it was my crew um so and that's something that i joined the army to do i wanted to be a bombardier in charge of a crew that's something i wanted to that was my goal um so that's something i wanted to do and all the lessons that i've picked up uh throughout my time prior with mac and hoppo and so on and running crews and so on i tried to bring that and trying to be the best so in uh, on my on the on the herrick 16 with a couple of new lads in in the crew and i, I felt it was a, as a good leader too so, so <clears throat> herrick 16 was a very different tour so it was 
pretty much fob based but it was in an area holding so that was in the upper Goresko, lower sangan valley and it was just to hold that area defended and so on keep the peace and so on it we very much gone from war fighting to peacekeeping by then as such um and so, so my job role on a day-to-day -day basis was to be in the ops room in the fob overwatch the area of operate operations with the company commander and the fst commander and so on um if something happens with the different platoons we can then call in fires using drones you know all that kind of stuff but we we still had members of the fst crew on the ground attached to uh, the platoons and one of the things um again like working with banksy before being this really good officer um within the crew and leadership qualities is then when i sent someone out or me and the boss decided to send someone out of a platoon i'd always go with them especially the new lads initially so i'd go with them on their first patrol i'd make sure i'd go with them to look after them i've now got had the experience of herrick 10 what to look out for the ids and so on just get the feel of the area you know uh, reading the pattern of life and so on you know um absence of the normal and presence of the abnormal and all that kind of stuff and um um and to try and teach the guys in my crew that type of stuff and just be be their dad as such um uh which i really enjoy doing so and then i'd spend a few weeks with them and then go back to the fob and they be fob bound for a month and so on which it's a lot of months and months of frustration of you know tracking someone and so on and then a little 99 boredom and one percent action and so on it's very different um whereas herrick 10 was a lot of full-on contact and you know and so on uh, but yeah, so after but after Herrick sixteen <clears throat> came back and then it was it was again same with Herrick ten. You come back and it's just you know you, you've had gunfights and all that stuff, and you're back in the in the UK and you're back into a normal training routine, back to normal exercises, firing blank blanks at each other and or pretending you're shot and. Um, or we'll go on Salisbury plane and there's some tank hawks and they go, oh, you know, it's, you know, Taliban vehicles. And so, no, it's just the blown up vehicle. You know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't play that game anymore. You know, they, yeah. they say the army is a game, you're going to play it. And I just, I couldn't play it anymore. And then I met my wife, this amazing woman, um, kept me grounded. And, um, and we, we were still, because the British army is getting smaller, but the commitments were getting more. So we we're, literally away eight months nine months of the year one exercise of the other and so on and you'll do exercise of the infantry plus your artillery exercises so it just never stopped and i just decided you know i don't want to start a family and take it on board what happened to hoppo and so on and you know i want to be there so i just i decided to sign off and um got married and got out the army now I just do a boring IT job. <laughs> How has that been for you, though? How has that been life since the military transitioning out and the healing modalities and <clears throat> things that you do to keep yourself grounded? I mean, you went from running and gunning and doing a very different life type of lifestyle like so many do. I mean, losing a lot of people. How does one transition out successfully? Um, 
it's not easy um luckily i um again I, i've stayed in touch with a lot of the guys who were there and i'm still friends with a lot of them <laughs> so we do meet up every now and then and you know have a few beers and talk about it um whereas a lot of guys come leave and they totally forget about the army or cut it off as if it's a, <clears throat> something in the past or never happened and and they really excuse me do struggle um i think what helped me is that i i kept in touch with a lot of the guys um and it was also it was i got out so my last deployment or operational deployment was 2012 i didn't get out till 2015 so i had a good three years of decompressing and still being with your friends and so on um and then afterwards remaining in touch um <coughs> getting back into <clears throat> martial arts jiu-jitsu i did kickboxing for a little bit but i found the jiu-jitsu club and now that i'm older and i'm having kids i don't fancy getting kicked in the head so much so jiu-jitsu right. is better <laughs> jiu-jitsu is better um now i just get choked out yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> just knock unconscious regularly yeah go on that little magic carpet ride through the cosmos yeah. as we say <laughs> um but yeah and then um, there's there's a few books I, I remember my parents saying and my wife was saying as well that like having really bad anger issues um you know a fuse really really short fuse and so on and just learning to it took a long, long time, but there's a lot of books that I read. Um, luckily, I never, um, I think I had read enough by that point to realize that <clears throat> drinking your sorrows away or drinking your problems away isn't going to do anything. And I tried to just kind of ground myself in trying to be and taking that experience back from, you know, Oppo didn't make it, I've got to make the best. So trying to be, a really good dad for my kids and to be there and and so on and so my sort of release for frustration is to do a lot of fizz go running go do jiu-jitsu um uh try and be an involved dad um so i'll send you a list of books that really help me um please uh yeah but so um one of one of the with with being angry i don't know if you've ever heard of it is the the chimp paradox mm. um yeah i can't remember who wrote it but that really helped me it's like when you feel you're you're getting in just that inner chimp calm, calming that um uh, jordan peterson's 12 rules for life helped um big fan of ryan mcclair so he's kind he's of he's got a new book out right now yes, too, so as not, well I, it's it's on my list i've not read it yet or I've not got it yet but it's on my list i need to finish a few others but i was listening to his podcast and he's actually he got he's the guy who got me into jujitsu because he's always talking about jujitsu and so on on his podcast and i thought <clears throat> you know i'm going to check this jujitsu out so before that i didn't really know a lot about it so um and again where a lot of guys go off the rails and so on listening to his stuff you know try and be involved dad and and uh sports jujitsu and so on uh, that that kind of helped um david goggins's book of can't hurt me just you know if i feel sorry for myself one morning it's just like 
get over it get, get over <laughs> yourself you know <laughs> yeah. shut up mom yeah um, just start yeah, having that you know. conversation with you listen I, listen yeah. tangent i did the ro- the grand fondo road by grace a couple mm, weekends ago mm. and my buddy <clears throat> yeah i'm not kidding he listens to yeah. doggins as well and he used to yeah. be uh, a pro road racer so he's yeah. riding up to the event and he's yelling out loud at 5.30 in the morning in the middle of like Stanley Park, Vancouver. And he's like, he's yelling shit to himself and he's making jokes. Yeah. And he said, what was the one that David he goes, being around you bitches makes me impotent. And I'm like, oh my God, he's yelling at this at other road bike racers. He's yeah, like, yeah. no bitches make me soft. I'm like, shut up. Shut up, Jacob. Exactly. I mean, but he went out and uh he got seventh. He almost won it. He crashed, but he ended up wow. getting seventh out of seven thousand. Yeah. So I mean oh, he can talk wow. like that. So yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I was like, don't say it around me. You're wearing the same uniform. Get away. Yeah. But um those but guys, yeah, so those people, so that's motivational. a great yeah. yes. Love this book. And you know, he's um was it mirror of accountability that he talks about <clears throat> looking in a mirror at nighttime and just look in yourself in the mirror and just go, you know, did I, did I do my best today or what could I have done better? And just, and, and of course you still fuck up and you still make mistakes and, and that kind of stuff, but it's just trying to analyze and critique yourself. Um, and I fail a lot of times and so on, and we are just human. Um, but yeah, it's, it, at least it, it, it kept me on the path, um, as such. And I think Ryan Nickler in one of his podcasts uh, recommended the book on it on a reading list um, called Endurance by uh, Alfred Lansing. It's about the Shackleton and his crew that was stuck in the Arct- Arctic. And I read that. And geez, it's like if ever I feel like I've had a bad day in the, uh, reading that book, it's like, no, no, no. It's being stuck in the Arctic for like 18 months surviving. And then, you know, the leadership that came out of it because don't want to ruin the book if someone's not read it but yeah that just if ever i think i've got a bad day get the david goggins moment of having a little word with myself and then the you know just think it can't be as bad as those guys or can't be as bad as being back in afghan That's right. um so yeah and just yeah get a grip of my of myself basically um and then again my, my wife a lot of times as well she'll 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 get me to get a grip like you know and just you know tell me to go have a word with myself or or so on <laughs> you need people i'm around scared you. of her i'm scared of her you know that's she'll okay. choke me out <laughs> well that's okay don't you don't they say you marry your mother so i mean <laughs> this brings well, she, it all the way back <laughs> well she's very anti-gun my wife but um, <laughs> that's well but she'll, she'll, she'll hurt you physically <laughs> yeah she'll hurt you physically your mother would have yeah. shot you there i mean yeah, listen they're yeah. two eggs <laughs> same thing my friend same thing you married your mom it's yeah. just a different yeah. modality it's okay my god you yeah. tied that well in that that uh, in well though my goodness i mean you yeah. seems like you're doing the right things though man it really does I hope so. I like I say, I still no one's perfect, and uh, yeah, I just try and. Um, I mean, compared to some of the guys you've got on your, uh, um, on your course, uh, on your on your on your program, you know, these guys are SAS and SBS and Green Berets and Rangers and so on. So? It's like the trios. Um, it, no, it's it's just and the things they do with their lives and so on. But yeah, so I, I'm 
I've not done anything special since I've left. Um, you know, I've I'm not in charge of a massive company or anything like that. But what I do just try is just be a good dad for my kids and be a be there for them and 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 so on and just make the most of the of the opportunity of getting out of that place alive, basically. That's um and a lot. You've done a lot. Most people they come out, they don't acknowledge their problems. They end up having a divorce because they don't deal with it. Then their yeah. kids are in a custody battle and then they don't get yeah. to see one of the other parents. So in and, my and mind, it's easy. It's easy to just give up and cut it all off. And yeah. 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 And that's the way it, it happens. So <clears> in my mind, you've been more successful than a lot of people I know since the military, because you've done the right things. You've been a present and, and welcoming and aware human being to those around you rather than just getting into yourself living yeah. in yourself and then having every everything else around you blow up i mean yeah. that's why you've been successful that's why you have a loving wife and healthy children that to me is the definition yeah. of success and try not to get too much into politics <laughs> that's that me too. as well because oh my god <laughs> oh yeah, that's a focus more on the other things and not you and I <laughs> could get into a whole episode of oh, politics. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we again, do that next yeah, time. We 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 certainly can. Um, but you know, again, it's it's taken up the the Jordan Peterson thing of you know, make your own bed and sort your own house out first before you try and change the world or your community and so on. So I'm, I'm still I'm still there. I'm at the trying to be involved with my community thing at the moment and you know, be involved with my kids' school and, and their clubs and I, I am the ballet dad at the moment, as my wife says. So she works a, a lot of Saturdays and um so on Saturdays the, the little girls got ballet. So I'm there with the ballet moms and we're having a coffee while the girls are doing their ballet and, and that kind of stuff. So very much try to be involved. Um, well yeah. you are you're doing it right my friend you really are you're <laughs> yeah. you're making yeah. the effort dude that's why i'm so mm. stoked about you that's why i wanted to talk to you because there's life after the military there is there's life after really horrible things that happen it's it's how you choose to live it you yeah. don't have to be in a hole and drink yourself to death you can do something yeah. with it and whether that means being present for your kids and being a good parent after some really horrific things have happened in the world yeah. around you and still hanging on to that kindness and that innocence and that ability to be compassionate. That to me is success. Yeah. Most yeah. people who leave, they don't deal with it. And I yeah. think we're finally just waking up to what the reality of that is. If we do yeah. not deal with it, we won't That's have absolutely. very many vets left. And thank you so much for what you're doing because you're, you're shining light on this. I think a lot of times, especially in the British army, like talking about the issues or um, it was just a taboo. And it was it was much more it was it was frowned upon and so on and it wasn't really till my I think my second tour that if if you had a if there was a bad incident and so on I remember um, one a BBID so vehicle born ID suicide bomber drove into an Afghan checkpoint um, and blew it up and all those casualties came to us and we had to deal with it and. Um, only then that or afterwards that the sergeant major come to us and they call the trauma I forget what it stands for something about trauma trauma incident something um to to then start dealing with it and keep a record of it that 
this person's been through this and to you know keep an eye on that whereas prior you know Herod 10 and so on it was just you know nothing really it was just us between ourselves talking about it over a barbecue and and that kind of stuff and and so on and you just went on with it um but and only now when you know people like you who's been doing this for a few years now um shining light on it and because even here in the uk the veteran um <clears throat> suicide rate is through the roof mm-hmm. um people committing suicide and so on and um one of the other guys hoppo's colleague um uh committed suicide and, and so on and he was one of the guys that you know we all looked up to and thought we literally thought he was invincible and so on and then end up taking up his own life and so on um the one guy who, who we all thought you know was untouchable so yeah it's um thank you for what you're doing so yeah I, well i that's very kind. We're all trying to help. And I think that's the, I think that's what we all need to realize and get egos out of the way. There's too many egos yeah. in this space that need to be the person that gets the acknowledgement for the things. Mm, Just fucking mm. get out of the way and talk about it. Give people a space to have that conversation. Yeah. Give them, yeah. give them a moment where yeah. they feel like they can feel safe enough to tell you something. Yeah. If people got their egos out of the way and, and just started helping people. That's, yeah. that's all it would take, man. That's all yeah. it takes. Yeah. So, um, it takes people like you for being willing to have the tough and hard conversation. And I am grateful to you for coming on. It has been far too long since I've got to actually see your face and talk to you, my <laughs> friend, and it will not go this long again, but it has been no, um, it's fine. an absolute honor and a pleasure to know you be around you and to have you in my life. And now to have you on the show, can you, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Can you tell everyone if you want to be found on yeah. social media, where they can find you? Yeah, so I, I was. I'm not on Facebook. Um, it's just it was too much politics, too much all that kind of stuff. So I've, yeah. I'm not on Facebook, but I, I am on Instagram. Um, uh, I forgot now what my Instagram <laughs> name is, because um, I'm not very active on it. Um, but you do have a cute family though on there. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, Daniel Benter five oh seven. But I'll, I'll send you a link for it. Perfect. No, and, you don't need and, to. And, and we so... got it yeah um but yeah that's that's pretty much and it's not it's just my family and some jujitsu stuff and (laughs) nothing special nothing special but yeah otherwise i i yeah i try to stay away from social media um try and you know just read books and or audio books and 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 so on and be involved in my and again having small kids you don't really have a lot of time for you as you know you 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 know it's it's work and kids and maybe an hour a day for yourself <laughs> and then you're too tired and you've got to go back to bed and so on um otherwise right. the next day you're just a zombie so a lot of coffee um <laughs> it's okay man i know the feeling i we do. don't have timmy hortons but um yeah i don't <laughs> drink that coffee oh no. no oh oh i know i thought it was amazing so, bad. so yeah see no. yeah Oh, 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 no. <laughs> no, drink. Uh, I normally drink like a, a Black Rifle coffee or. Ah, yes. They're yes. going to hate this. Or if it's local, I'll go to Starbucks if I have to, or I'll go to Mink, which is another one around here. But yeah, <laughs> normally, yeah, no, I don't drink Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons tastes like yeah. cigarette butts. <laughs> but in Afghan, it was some of the best coffee oh, I've ever had. And in when Afghan, we done. It was and, the best coffee. Yeah. And when we had, um, when we done exercises in Canada and Batis, 
um again we'll go into a timmy hortons and i think it was like a hazelnut coffee or something yep. like that and yeah it was amazing <laughs> God, they're gonna they're gonna love this i'm gonna send them this episode they're gonna have a ball with that <laughs> i can't thank you enough my friend it's been an honor thank to you have very much you. all right everyone that's been danny Cheers. we'll see you all next week hey you have you checked in with yourself today how are you doing how are you feeling have you had enough water this is your midday check-in brought to you by midday squares Big breath in. <sighs> I'm back at it. <laughs> so, so Gus, because Gus was um, part of our crew. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our crew, we, a crew of seven, we lost three people. Um, so Hopper got killed a month later. Gus got killed. Um, and I I still think Gus should have gotten like, um, I don't know if my sound play enough because I hear like. A no, you're noise. fine. Um Gus should have gotten some kind of posthumous medal or something because they got hit by an ID, uh, not ID, by RPG. So there was five of them on top of the compound roof, and we were still patrolling through the fucking. I remember it was fucking cornfields, massive, massive tour over your heads. Um, and then he heard the contact. I knew it was where Gus was. So I was trying to call him on the radio because I had the radio calling his call sign, not answering up. Not answering. So I was fucking getting angry of Gus. Why the fuck is he not answering up? And then came over that there's casualties and we clicked that Gus was hit by him and Kev Elliott. Kevin Elliott was hit. Um, Elliott was sat against a wall um, on top of this roof and it exploded right next to him. So he's killed instantly. Gus some shrapnel <clears throat> severed the artery in his in his, on his on his neck but he was still alive and the reason i think he should in my opinion gotten had gotten some award or something is <clears throat> he must have knew or known that he was going to die because the medic came up because there was there was five of them so all all five got hit three was seriously wounded Kev Elliott and Gus was was then hit fatally but um, the medic came over to Gus to help him or give him first aid and he knew or said to the medic that no go and help the other guy so the medic left him started helping the other guys and it took apparently like seven minutes or something for Gus to bleed out and die and um, well that's what I've been told of that that's what was said there on the ground later on um so just think what goes through his head in that seven minutes he had a young daughter wife and and so on and but he was all he was one of the best sergeants i ever knew um you know he was all for the lads he was all for the you know the the young privates to look after them and be their dad and that kind of stuff and to then decide you know forget about me go off fucking hell this is shaking me up sorry but yeah, so that's why I think he should have he should have gotten something, and I can see why the Black Watch they probably feel, or that guy anyway, um, feel that he they doesn't want the world to know about it. But I, in my opinion, he such bravery needs recognition, um, as such. Well, I'll and keep that clip in. If if you want, yeah. Yeah, I have yeah. no. Uh, listen, I believe in if somebody did something like that heroic, somebody who put their life quite literally on the line so that somebody yeah. else can live, they deserve to have that story told. Yeah. And I'm sorry yeah. if it makes others uncomfortable. None yeah. of this is about making people feel like uh, they were lost for nothing. The whole point yeah. 
is to talk about these people so their memories stay alive. Yeah, and anybody yeah. who sees that about anything other than uh, and just being grateful and holding space for them in their life, I would want people to tell a story of something like that happened. Yeah. I would want people to because they don't, that's the other thing. People don't realize what really happens yeah, and the type yeah. of bravery that is required out of a human being yeah. when something that traumatic is going on yeah. to be able to say, I'm going to give my life because I know they will survive and I will not. Exactly. exactly. That just doesn't, that just, that's not normal in, in, yeah. in every day. And anybody who says that it's, it's not okay to talk about, that's not fair. Yeah. War happens, people die and they deserve to be honored. Yeah. If, especially if something like they were that brave and they were that courageous and they were that willing yeah. to give their life for someone else. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't care. So, yeah. But like, like I said, like I wasn't on that rooftop. Um, oh, we were like a few compounds back. Um, but yeah, that was, if I remember correct, the report that came back on the, on the ground that day from the guys. And then, um, but yeah. And, yeah, just remember, because again, Gus was someone I really looked up to. Um, mm. So Hoppo and Gus and so on, they were always looking after us and after me because <clears throat> I was the, the junior rank within that crew. And then seeing his body, you know, getting mm. um, carried away to the, to the Pedro helicopters, to the Blackhawks. Yeah, it, it, again, it just fucking made you realize your vulnerabilities and and so on 